We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 12, and we're going to just look at um, a dozen or so verses on here, and I want to give a little background, but I always like to start in prayer, so please join me as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. It is so beautiful, Lord. It's um, a gorgeous fall day. We're mindful of everything that's going on in the world, Lord, and we lift up the prayers to protect those who are in harm's way. We lift up uh, those who are fleeing uh, fires or firefighters who are trying to get fires under control. We just ask, Lord, that your hand would be with those folks and that uh, people would be safe. We thank you, Lord, that our Pastor Jack has been in uh, Lebanon and in Iraq and is fully engaged in ministry there, talking to fellow Christians there and also seeing what are the needs. We know, Lord, he's headed home in a couple of days, so we ask for safe travel mercy. So we thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity of being out in the world. As we turn now to 1 Corinthians and we look at a hot mess in the church, we um, pray that we would be mindful to be a community that embraces one another in love and works together for your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so as usual, scripture is always better when it's taken in the whole. <laughs> so when we pull verses out or sections out, sometimes it's a little confusing as to what's going on. So between chapter 12 and 14, I'm just going to take these off for a moment. Um, chapter 12 and 14 it's, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth that's having a difficult time with worship. Now, not worship necessarily like worshiping God, but who gets to do what? And it has become a great area of contention. And we, modern day, we never argue about worship, worship at all. Not the styles, not who's doing what, not quite what kind of music. I have to tell you, a person in the church one time told our worship band, well, you're really not, you're really not worship. Because uh, <laughs> it, it's not the organ or it's not the choir, it's not something else. And so, so we kind of get that. That's, you know, things happen like that. Plus also the style. Like how can you really present uh, your gifts and your talents in the midst of worship? So um, their specific issues had to do with what we might call today the sensational gifts. Like we all get the gifts of administration. In fact, we all love that gift because we need it. We all get teaching gifts. We all get preaching gifts. We all get uh, gifts of mercy even. We, if there are, are gifts of generosity. Those are things that we get. But when we get to certain gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing or exorcism, especially for the frozen chosen Presbyterians, Reformed tradition, we kind of go, well, wait. You know, the, the, those aren't really, are, really are, are those really gifts? Are those, you know, are those something else? So that's kind of what's in the context here. And what had happened is they had decided that some of the gifts were just really spectacular. Like I have this really spectacular gift and you don't. And that, and that was the issue. The issue is they had forgotten that they were a body of Christ. They had forgotten that they were to work together. He takes three chapters to unwrap this, to address the things. But basically, it was what we call worship wars, not kind of the way that we think, do we use an organ or a guitar or drums or 
the cello. Um, it was much more about who was speaking in church, how they were speaking, what was going on. And of course, um, it ends this whole area in um, Corinthians about worship by saying, whatever you do, do it decently and in order. And we Presbyterians love that. That's all we like. You know, everything should be decently and in order, and that's the way we should do it. And so that has a lot to do with what's going on here. But that's Paul is, that's his last thing that he says, but let's see what he says first. So again, 12 to 14, deal with the worship issues in the church. Uh, it was considered disorderly worship, number one, because a lot of chaos was going on. And just to, in, I'll, I'll inform you of that. And then the other was about the one that I talked to, showy displays of gifts. And... Um, and so the disorderly part was that people were jumping up in worship, kind of disrupting, either having a word from the Lord, speaking out. Um, it, it just it wasn't very orderly, and that can distract us from worship. And if you know, in our church, I like to put minutes behind things that I think are going to happen because that helps me to know how I'm going to adjust if I'm preaching my sermon. So first sermon, I had 23 minutes. Second sermon, I didn't have quite 18 minutes. And so somebody needs to adjust somewhere, so that's kind of what I do. But I time things so that I know. And then, of course, once the service starts, they all go out the window because it never quite works the way. But, it, but in theory, it should work and not be chaotic. So Paul is addressing this because it's very important What's going to happen is if you begin to either be too showy or too disorganized, the one thing you're not going to be doing in the midst of all that is worshiping God. And that's why we come together, to worship God. So let's now turn and look at these verses, starting in um, chapter 12. And um, it's specifically about spiritual gifts have been... He's talked about that, a variety of gifts in the first 11 verses, and then in verse 12, he moves into talking about um, the body and what the body means. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit." Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part to the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So as it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. 
But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let's just go back and unpack it for a few minutes here. Um, in the very first part, if you look at the first two verses, you're going to see the word one. So if you, I, I think Bibles should be, uh, Jack's first Bible, I think he, if he's told you about it, was color-coded. He went through and marked it all. Some people go, oh, no, you should never mark a book. I'm like, mark the book if it helps you remember. Otherwise, mark in your notes. Five times the word one is used. Three times for the body, twice for the spirit. And that's really important. And a couple things that are going on there. Uh, the body is one, yet it has many members. And, um, and in those verses where it's used five times, uh, the one body, one body is one, and then spirit, we're in and with one spirit. So here's the deal, and here's some history about this. And if you grew up in a different um, denomination, maybe than the Presbyterian church or a different expression of faith, you may have run a across this. I grew up, as many of you know, in a Baptist church, and God bless them, we definitely knew scripture. Um, but God bless them, they were very, very... Um, clear and concise about exactly what we should or should not believe. And so, of course, that ended up having some, some wars within the church. And um, one of the wars were over spiritual gifts because we had some people in the gifts who had some, uh, again, what I would uh, think that we might call uh, sensational gifts or different gifts. They had a gift of, of speaking in tongues or a gift of uh, that prophetic word. And in the Baptist church, we, you know, if you think we're frozen chosen, you haven't seen anything yet. You know, it's only preaching and teaching. We're kind of big on those, but the rest go by the wayside. So there was some difficulty and struggle there. The others are some look at the scripture in verses 12 and 13 and say, well, we come to Christ and then we get filled with the Holy Spirit as if two experiences. And that is not true. That's not what the scripture is saying here. And that is not our belief. We are baptized into Holy Spirit, whether we do that as infants or later on, but we come to know Christ, and as we say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, okay? It's not like, oh, and then later you get, quote, baptized by the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Here, let us help you out. You need to do, you know, maybe you should uh, just try this, and then you'll know you'll have the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not saying that there, and it's not um, supported in scripture. So let me just take that off our plates. If you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you. Sometimes some of us would say, wow, where's that Holy Spirit is kind of hidden? Or we need a refilling of the Holy Spirit. I love it that, that Peter goes to proclaim the gospel in Acts, and oftentimes the words used to that, and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, well, what's he full of the rest of the time? You know, but but there are filling of the Holy Spirit when we, thank you for getting that, when we um, really are proclaiming there are times when we really feel the presence of God, but the presence of God is always with us, is always with us. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit enters our life. And so the words that are used here, we just want to look at this for a minute because it's really important. That Paul affirms our connection. All of the members of the body, though many, are one part. So it is with 
Christ, not with the church, but with Christ. Our identity is first and foremost with Christ. And we really are little Jesus people running around. We're little Jesus. That's how people know Christ through us. So first and foremost, we are with Christ. And then for in one spirit, this is with and in, we're together. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he defines it. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. Well, in a society, and we still do that to, to this very, very day, uh, we have a tendency to split people up by categories, either ethnically or economically or educationally. And Paul is going, you know, we're all on the same, it's all level, folks. That when Christ comes, he comes equally to every person. The Holy Spirit is given equally to every person. You're all the same. In terms of your identity with Christ in the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, um, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Those are not, and that's the, the area where people go, oh, well, see, first you're in Christ and then you drink or you're in the Spirit, and then you drink of the Holy Spirit, so that's the second, you know, what we might call a second baptism or the second filling. That's not in the Scripture, and it's not what Paul is saying here. You have the Holy Spirit. It comes into your life when you come to know Jesus. Now, I'm going to do an aside. I don't want to go too far in this, but we baptize our children. Why do we baptize our children? Um, some people don't. They wait till their kids are older. I grappled with this because, again, I grew up Baptist, and you had to wait till you were old enough to say yes um, and then be baptized then. But then I began to study what it means to be a part of the covenant, which is where our baptism comes from. Uh, same in the Old Testament, the covenant of circumcision that didn't make the person a person of faith, but it did set them aside to say they belong to this family of faith, and as they grow... And as they learn, we are confident because of this covenant that we've made with God that when they are at the right age, they will say yes to Jesus or yes to um, the Jewish faith. That's a bar mitzvah. That's a bat mitzvah. That's what we go through when all kids go through that. For us, when we baptize our children, we say, Holy Spirit of God, begin to do a work in that child. And that's what we believe happens at the time so that later that child might say when they have an understanding, yes to Jesus. So I like to use our daughter for that example because she was three and Richard was almost six. It took me a while. Jordan, we had baptized straight away because I didn't, I didn't know with a child um, who was mentally disabled how much he would really comprehend and be able to understand that Jesus lived and died and rose for him. By the way, I think he understands it better than most of us. <laughs> He's a pretty good, but I didn't know at the time. So anyway, so I'm still grappling with this. Jordan was baptized a little six-month-old baby around a pool with about 50 people from Hollywood Presbyterian Church. We just made our own worship service. So we had songs, we had prayers, we had a homily, and we baptized this little baby with red tennis shoes and a 60-year-old um, baptismal gown of his grandfather. So that was kind of a special thing we did. Corinna and uh, Richard were three and almost six years old when um, we came and we um, had them baptized in the church because I began to understand what it means for the baptism, that it's the family, it's the parents that come forward and say, we so believe in Jesus and his call upon our lives as in Acts, the family, the household was baptized, that we went to baptize our children believing that God is going to do a work on in this child, and as we remain faithful to that promise to raise our child, that they too one day will say yes to Jesus. 
So Corinna's in junior high, we're at a junior high camp, which when your mother's a youth director, you, you have to go to all the camps when you're at the right age. So she's at the junior high camp, she's, uh, and I adore my daughter, and she's full of a lot of verve. <clears throat> and so along with getting trouble at that camp, she also came and heard the speaker, which was really, really good. And he said at one time, if you've never uh, committed your life to Christ, here's a good time to it. We always do this at camp because there's so many kids that have never been asked that question. At some point, we have to ask the question, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Would you like him to be? You know, would, you, would you like to invite Jesus into your life? And so she stood up, and she gave this little testimony. She said, you know, I'm standing up, not because I don't believe in Jesus. I really do believe in Jesus, and I believe he's my Savior. But I've just never done that publicly. And so I kind of want to do that. Uh, and, it, you know, for a mom, that really makes you happy. And I thought... That is a covenant, and so when our kids go off to college, you've heard this story, I always pat to them on the chest and say, you're a child of the covenant. You can run, you can hide, but God will always pursue you. And by the way, he will get you. So God bless you, have fun at college. <laughs> we'll see you when you come home. And sure enough, how many of us have seen our kids kind of go kind of crazy for a while and then come back to faith? We believe in that faith, we do this. So it's that call of God, but it's the Spirit that does the work. And when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. That is equal for all people in Christ, and that was Paul's first and foremost, that one body we have and that one Spirit that indwells us, but we come to Christ. And then what does that look like? And then he goes on to say, okay, so we've all got it. We all are one body, one spirit with Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But let me tell you, there's a lot of different one body, but it consists of many, many members. And then he launches off to begin to tell them because, again, what they were trying to do is to say, okay, well, you're really the big Christian, or you're really arrived, or you're really the true if you have this, quote, gift, whatever that gift was. And Paul is trying to say every single gift you have is important to the church and given to you by God. He says that later in verse 18. That is crucial, because you might want to argue with me about what gifts are, are good or not good or relevant or not relevant. They're given to you by God. Don't mess with me. Go talk to God. And by the way, I think God knows what God is doing. So here we go. Let's look at this. So indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then he goes into this um, launching uh, description of needing many, but the emphasis is on the fact that diversity is needed within the church. If you don't have it, if you're heavy on one side, and some churches get heavy because, you know, we love, uh, we love to study the scripture. We love education. Presbyterians are known for that. It's, you know, we used to have a gazillion, well, maybe not that many, but a bunch. We had hundreds and thousands of um, Presbyterian schools. When I go overseas, um, what are you going to see? You're going to see churches that have schools that are um, right next to the Presbyterian Church of East Africa. The first thing they do is they build the church, and then they build a school. And then they, if they need to, they build the high school because education is so important. So that's kind of what we like. You know, we really, really like it. If you're in the Pentecostal faith, which, by the way, the Pentecostal church um, and those who fully embrace um, gifts of, um, of great expression of faith, 
you know, prophetic words and tongues and singing praises in a way that we may not be used to. But in South Central America and in the continent of Africa and along Malaysia, the fastest growing Christian faith are the Pentecostals. It's just how the Holy Spirit's working. So never discount that. And Paul wants us to know every single gift is important. We need all those gifts. And um, I always use, I think singing is both um, a, a, a natural ability, an acquired skill for some people. But I think when we use it to God, it's a spiritual gift used to uplift, to be an encouraging uh, part of what we do. I do not sing on key. Lord knows I wish I did. That would be a fun gift for me. I would love that gift. Now, that's just a practical gift. All people in the world have that gift. But when it's used to the glory of God, it, it kind of becomes a special gift given to the church to use. It's not the only gift, though. Though we love music, and it's very important to us. Um, there are many, many different gifts that we use in many parts of the body. So the first thing that happened... Um, is that people would say, um, because I'm not a hand, um, I don't belong to the Lord. I'm, no long, I'm not significant. I'm, I'm not really, you know, I don't have that gift, so I must not be a Christian. Well, that's just not true. How many of us want just hands walking around? And then the same thing, or if you just had a foot walking around. Um, I'm not important. I'm not significant. So, of course, again, um, when I worked in youth ministry, it was just a bunch of fun. You know, they, they would do things because they didn't know any better. You were bigger and older than they were. So I used to have them count off. So I'd have you four ladies count off one to four and then one to four and one to four, go all the way around the room. So you're either going to be in group one, two, three, or four. And then I would have in a basket a list of different body parts. And you would pick those. And inevitably, it would not quite get evenly dispersed. So you would end up in a group and you would have four hands and only one foot. Or you would end up with um, two brains and uh, no eyes or ears or something like that. But you would do this and you would have all these different body parts within it. And then you would give them tasks to do. And their body had to be able to do those tasks. So, of course, if you were supposed to read something and in your group you had in your body parts who had no eyes, you were out of luck. If it said you had no ears, then I would walk over to you and see what was part of your body and start talking to you without any um, words <laughs> and give them some kind of instructions to do. See, every single body part is needed. Now, you know, if you, um, I think, what good is an, um, a toenail? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Well, toenails are kind of important if you, if you know anything about them and how they protect your foot and everything else. But we always want, you know, I want to be the brains or I want to be the heart or I want to be the lungs, the breath of God. You know, we all want those big sensational gifts. But oftentimes we don't think about those things that are really important. Think about people who get pancreatic cancer, how quickly they go. We don't see that. But how important it is to the body function. I have um, a couple of friends. One is a pastor. He's now the pastor up at Escondido who um, had kidney failure, young man. I don't think he was yet 30. And he didn't find this out until he was called to La Jolla Presbyterian Church. And so you could imagine what his life was like on dialysis for a number of years. And then they found a donor who wasn't a believer. He came to know Michael and came to know the church, gave his kidney 
saved Michael's life, and in the midst of it, he became a Christian and his family with him. Fast forward, friends down the street used to live catsy corner from us. Um, a husband had kidney failure, and for years and years and years, he's been on dialysis. Uh, they came to La Jolla Presbyterian Church, not necessarily as um, devout believers of Jesus at all, but came to see a community that loved them, had a pastor who, though he was now well, could identify with what they were going through. They were baptized, their girls were baptized, it became their fellowship because they saw the love of Christ. And by the way, he just recently received a kidney and he's doing well now. We need every single part of our body and the problem is we always want to have somebody else's part because it just looks so, so much better than ours, you know. Um, I can't, you know, I'm filming so I can't tell you an outfit that my sister sent me and I said, I'm missing a couple things that don't make this outfit look very good, Teresa. So we have to send it back. Um, I would love some of her body parts. I don't have them, but I have other parts that work really well and, and those are important. You just take that where you'd like to. Okay. <laughs> Diversity is what's needed and let me tell you, we talk about that and some people that makes really nervous when we talk about diversity. Oh, we have too much diversity, you know. And our churches, um, we don't necessarily see that, a lot of diversity, but it's very important with spiritual gifts. We need to have those. He's, and Paul, in doing this, is directly addressing a conflict. And I made jokes about this, but it was very, very serious. It was ripping the church apart. And unfortunately, as a kid growing up in the Baptist church, um, the pastor spent a lot of time talking about the gifts that can't be used anymore, they're no longer relevant, or have all gone away, none of which is based on uh, good exegesis of Scripture. But we lost families over that, how that grieved the church. And Paul is really trying to help them so that they don't lose sight of their call, first and foremost, as a body of believers, a diverse body, to be together, to function together, to appreciate the gifts that they have. So he's uh, addressing those first who see themselves as insignificant. Stop doing that if that's what you're doing. Your gifts are from God. Embrace the gift that God has given to you and use it, whatever it is. And then don't become showy also with those gifts that God has given to you. If you are good with your gift, folks will see that. You don't need to promote that. Trust the gifts that God has given to you. Years and years ago, when I first came here, thanks be to God that I've been able to serve here um, the years that I have. But I remember I, they did an interview at the local paper here just because I was a new associate pastor and they wanted to know, what are you doing? I said, well, part of what I do is to um, help people discover their gifts. I feel very, very strongly in that. Let's figure out what your gifts are and use them because if you're using the gifts that God has given to you, you will not grow weary. Um, if you were to say, Jan, we're putting you up for solos every week, I would look for another church, as would you if I tried to sing. But, um, but or, or they're asking you, um, I, I'm 
you know, I have friends on missions, thanks be to God, who are CPAs or mathematical background. Let me tell you, that really helps in missions because we have a large budget. We try and give a lot of money to help the missions out there, and we need good accountants. So great. That's wonderful. There are other people on Mission Commission who would not want that role. It just doesn't work for them. And if it did, it would be painful both for a budget and for them. So use the gifts that you have. So I'm trying to tell her this, and she goes, you know what? My folks were in a church, and they finally left because, I'm like, whoa. She said, but they had asked them to be greeters on Sunday morning. And she said, my dad is a CPA, and, and they're, both my folks are shy, and my mother is painfully shy. She's a phenomenal cook, but she's, she loves to host people. She loves to have people and make food for them, or if there's somebody in need, she loves to do that. But they asked them to be greeters. They eventually left the church. It just, it was too hard for them. It was so painful. They were so shy. They just couldn't do it. And I looked at her and I said, oh my goodness, he should have been on the finance committee. He would have soared. That would have been great for him. And our church, and many of you belong to this, but in case you don't know, we have a meals ministry, something else that I'm not on for good reasons. But we have a meals ministry. And if you were in need... These are people who either are empty nesters or just love to cook. It's their gift, and they are super good at it, and they love to do that ministry. And they make a meal, and they'll take it to the person, or we'll help take it to the person who needs it. If any of you have ever experienced it, it's wonderful food. And if you are gluten-free, if you are vegan, if you have any allergies, these folks will work around that. Now, that's a gift of ministry and a gift given to them where they're using it. It's a gift of helps. So when you think, okay, you have the gift of helps, what does that look like? Well, for those who can cook or who enjoy that hospitality, another gift, that's how they use that. By the way, the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture are not exhaustive. That wasn't the point. It would, the list would be too long. So we think, oh, well, I don't have the gift of teaching or preaching, uh, generosity, helps, mercy, faith, administration. So, uh, those aren't my gifts, so I, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Everyone has spiritual gifts if you belong to the body of Christ. If you are with Christ, you have spiritual gifts. If you want to figure out what your spiritual gift is, come and talk to me. I have a wonderful um, gift analysis that we, that we give to our new deacons, and Stephen Ministries have taken it, and anybody else who's interested. Because if you know your gifts, you'll know how to use them. In fact, it even shows you where they are in Scripture and how to use it. So it's a great great way to do that. But Paul is just saying, don't feel like you're insignificant. You are very, very significant. And then he goes through that whole scenario of those that don't seem or that are kind of hidden or seem insignificant are very significant. And those, you know, your eyes, you kind of have to protect. So they may seem like really big thing, but they're very vulnerable. So we may even have gifts that there's vulnerability. If you have a gift of teaching, you are vulnerable because you're under uh, a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. If you have the gift of, um, of generosity, you want to be, um, in, and we're all called to give, but the gift of generosity are just those who just know how to, are generous, generous with what they have. But they need to be wise with that too and also protect it so that um, they don't use it unwisely or so that it's not used in a way that's not glorifying to God. And all of us can use or abuse gifts that we have, but the biggest abuse is not to use them. That would be a shame if God's given us a gift that we're not using. And by the way, those gifts go on for a lifetime. Now, you may get 
other gifts as you go along. And so sometimes we think, okay, well, these are my gifts for life. This is all I have. Um, as Paul is using that the church functions very much like the human body does, so do our gifts and the gifts that we have. And so, uh, again, I'll just use myself as an illustration. Love working with youth. And then God called me up to Oceanside. In Oceanside, I oversaw the children, youth, and preschool. So that was still fun because I got to be with the people who did you know, the real work. But my kids were in high school, and they didn't need a mom for a pastor. I mean, honestly, they needed their own pastor. And so I felt very strongly about that. And so went to serve in a church. And I got there and I did education, which is something I'm very familiar with. But then they also put me with deacons and Stephen ministers. And I'd never been with Stephen ministers. And I'd never really worked with the deacons because the pastor at my former church, who, um, whose first and foremost gift was pastoral care, he was amazing. I fortunately got to go with him a few times and just see how tender-hearted, how sensitive, how good he really was. But I had much more of a tendency to say, wow, Ruth, you're not feeling well. Oh, well, get over it. Move on. You're, you'll be good. You know, where he would sit with them. He would care for them. He would love on them. He would make sure that they're cared for. So I get up there, and I'm with these deacons, and they're teaching me more than I'm teaching them. And then I see the the gifts and the skills and the work that goes into Stephen ministry that come alongside and help people along in crisis. And I just fell in love with it. But God equipped me in a different way. He really gave me what I hadn't had before, and that was a heart for those who are suffering, mostly emotionally, some physically. Um, and I was always, always much more ministered to than they were. But God gave me a new and a different gift because that was what was needful. Does that make sense? So sometimes you'll have gifts and all of a sudden you thought, well, I've never done this before, but I'm able to do it and I'm, it's bringing me joy. I'm becoming passionate about that. That's a, great, that's a great way to know what your gifts are when you're passionate about something. That's a gift given to you by God. And so I go back to that sweet, shy couple they were passionate about numbers and hospitality. That was a gift from God. They were not so passionate about standing up in front of strangers and welcoming them. That was really not easy for them. For Jordan Farley, he's the best at that, by the way. He used to do that up at Oceanside. He would, like, greet people. He, just, he would give you hugs whether you were ready for it or not. That's his gift. He can do that. So use the gifts that you have. That's what Paul is saying. Don't discount it. And by the way, don't gloat the gifts that you have. Don't you just love it? Oh, I just, I'm so humble because God has just given me this wonderful gift. <laughs> that's what was happening. That's my, you know, that's Jan's paraphrasing of what's going on. So let's not do that. Let's do, let's make it good. And then he goes on again. Um, uh, if in verse 18, again, that's so important. The word used, God chooses. It's very strong language that Paul is using there to say to them that God chooses the, the gifts that you have. So if you begin to deny those gifts or devalue those, you're really addressing God with that. So don't do that. They, um, don't question the validity of God's authority to distribute the gifts. God gives you the gift Use it. Use it wisely. Use it to the glorification of Christ and the church. 
but use those gifts. And then um, as he goes on with the body parts, then he goes, the body, many members, and he goes back in verse 20, and um, as it is, there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need to you. You know, we went on with that again nor again. The head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the member of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and less respectable members are treated with greater respect. It's in the body. You know, I go back again. You really, you know, our modesty, those kinds of things we, we may in our own physical body hide things that are very, very important. We need those kind of functioning things. We have to protect certain things. Don't discount your body and parts thereof, and understand every part is important. So your baby finger, oh, really? I mean, how important is this? This baby finger doesn't work very well, by the way. There we go. But years ago, pastor at a church, a first uh, church that Rick and I came to when we came down here, was at Princeton Seminary. He tells a story. He was a student there working on his Master of Divinity. It was winter time. And he was typing away, and he decided to go get something to eat. Now, sometimes women just grab a Diet Coke, but men actually go out and get food when they're hungry or tired. But he's typing away, and he decides, you know, he has to get something to eat. So he stops, and he goes down. He's headed down the steps of the dormitory out towards the commist- uh, I would call it whatever, the food, the cafeteria to eat. And he slips on the ice, because again, it's winter, it's in Princeton, and he breaks his baby finger. He said, have you ever, now this is in the olden days, and most of you around this room were probably taught to type using all 10 digits. My mother was a typing teacher, Lord forbid that I do any less. Now the kids do it like this, and they think they're fast, but, um, but you used all your fingers back then. And he said, can you imagine, this seems so simple, but without that baby finger, it slowed that paper down. He was making mistakes left and right because he couldn't use that finger anymore. What a great example. We just think it's insignificant, but it's pretty significant when you need it. Don't discount those things. So then, at the very end, he addresses um, not only the error of superiority of the gifts of the body parts in two ways. Uh, The need to care and protect weaker parts. They're, in fact, vital. I just read that. And then Paul calls the church to care for one another by rejoicing with them as they rejoice and weeping with them when they weep. The caring for one another is the greatest antidote for ignoring other, presumably lesser, members in the church. So, um, I, I don't know why I'm so stuck on youth today. It must be why I am. But um, in youth ministries, kids can be very nice and they can be brutal. Um, and sometimes those uh, personality traits in kids who are not so nice grow into adulthood. Um, addressing it when you're young helps tremendously. But you'll always have some goopy, goofy kid in youth ministries who can't sit still or who's not very helpful, who speaks out of turn, who, who, who's just not an easy kid. And inevitably, one of the cool kids will come up and say, I can't stand so-and-so. And I would always say, Really? I really like them. I think they're fun. And the cool kid would go, oh, well, well, okay then, you know. I guess if you think they're okay, must be something redeemable about them. 
And so we kind of need to do that. Think for a moment of people, not just in our close community, but in the larger community of Christ, that we may ignore or marginalize or think are insignificant or think are kind of, really? I know God has given you spiritual gifts, but even I'm having a hard time <laughs> seeing that. In you. Don't do that. We don't know all their stories. When people weep, weep with them. When they rejoice, rejoice with them. And don't neglect them just because you think they're of less value. They are not. They are of the greatest value. That's why I go back to the Jews or Greek, slave or free. Everybody is significant. So engage with everybody in the body of Christ. And, we do, and I'm as guilty as any. We have a tendency to, you know, be with our, our groupies, our buds, or those that we're close to, those that agree with us either politically or, or personally or family or whatever. That's not what the church is. The church is making sure that we're all together with all our diversity because that's what makes it so sweet, so wonderful, so beautiful. That's what helps us learn. That's what helps us engage. That's what helps us recognize gifts that are being used in new and different ways. So he ends that way, and then at the verse 27, which is just about in the second one, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Okay? So one body, individual members of it. And I want to share this story because um, it just is a cool story. So if I may do that, I think I'm way ahead of time today. What am I doing? Oh, I'm not, but indulge me. <laughs> <laughs> Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Okay, here we go. I'm going to uh, talk to you about this. There was a highly regarded um, show on HBO. I don't have HBO, or, so I get all this really great information that I read that I don't get to watch. But it was called a mini-series, The Band of Brothers, and it was about um, those who served in the American troops um, dealing with Normandy and D-Day and how they functioned together. It was a very, very powerful uh, documentary that, that they um, showed, and they, it was both episodes of what was going on interspersed with some um, survivors of the World War II paratroopers, and they interviewed this one lieutenant, uh, Richard Winters, um, who was telling about the rare combination of humility and valor in so many of his men. And um, he tells a story about talking to one of his other comrades who was also decorated for valor by uh, President Eisenhower. And here's, uh, here's an example of humility with valor. His friend wrote, I cherish the memories of a question my grandson asked the other day when he said, Grandpa, were you ever a hero in the war? Grandpa said, no, but I served in a company of heroes. And it's from this statement um, on disc six of this HBO, and it's called, We Stand Alone Together. Every single one of you has a unique gift given to you by God. That stands alone. That's your gift. You may have many, 
but they're given to you by God. But it functions together as one body. Thanks be to God. Okay. okay, well, ladies, the Lord bless you and keep you, and God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you, and may the gifts that God has given to you be shown humbly, but with great valor. Amen. <laughs>